Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Hi, everyone. It's uh, good to uh, be here with you all. I wish I could see all of your faces. Um, I'm officially now um, the community pastor here at LBCF, and I'm I'm so excited to uh, be part of this community. I know my wife and I have been in much prayer, and we've been praying for you. I think my biggest regret in this pandemic is that um, as I give my like uh, first official sermon of the year, uh, I'm not able to do it in person, and I'm not able to like um, um, see you and, and be with you and be present with you. But I know that um, as I've been talking to a lot of the leadership at LBCF, I know that this has been, the past few months have been extremely difficult. Uh, Along with the pandemic and the social upheavals around politics and and race, um, you know, I I know that the church itself has gone uh, through a lot. Um, As a community, you've experienced the departure of two beloved pastors. And I know that even now you're in the midst of difficult conversations. And as a pastor um, coming in, I know that I'm coming in as an outsider. Uh, But I want you to know that as much as humanly possible, I want to come alongside you um, just to be able to listen and to pray and to be present. And so if there's a way that we can meet either through Zoom or, you know, some kind of socially distanced outdoor, you know, meeting, um, please, um, I want to make myself available to this community. But as I think about um, how we as a church will move forward in in the midst of all the challenges we are facing, um, we as a uh, pastoral team with Ryan and Barbara, we're trying to like assess, you know, how do we move forward? Um, How do we pay attention to God's voice? And it got me thinking about, you know, what, what it is that is necessary for our time. And as we were talking, I was reminded of this parable that Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4. Um, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. But it's the parable of the four soils. And um, I'll read a part of it. And in, in verse 3 of chapter 4, um, Jesus says, listen. And so Jesus is basically from the outset just telling the people who are there, you know, pay attention. Uh, This is something that's important. Um, This is going to be on the final. In other words, it's like um, take take this to heart what I'm about to say. And then he goes on and talks about um, this farmer who went out to sow seed. And in scattering the seed, he talks about the first one where, you know, the farmer um, sowed some seed and it fell along the path. But unfortunately, the birds of the air came um, and ate it up. But then there were some that fell in rocky places. And because there wasn't a lot of soil, it sprung up quickly and it was shallow. And and when the sun came, the, the plants were scorched. And still there were some that fell among thorns, which grew up um, and it choked the plants. So they didn't bear any grain. But then the last one still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And I know the disciples, you know, in hearing the story and everyone listening, you know, they were probably able to relate to the story. Everybody knew about seeds at that time. Everybody knew about soils. Uh, but the disciples couldn't understand the meaning of this parable. So when they were alone, they asked Jesus privately. And so Jesus, you know, basically reveals the things of the kingdom to them. And in verse 13, he says, don't you understand? Uh, the, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed in verse 15 along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown, to, uh, sown in them. Then he says, um, others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when troubles or persecution come, they fall away quickly. And then there still um, are those um, like seed who sown among thorns. They hear the word. But the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And then lastly, others like seeds sown on good soil he'll hear the word, accept it, and produce crop 30, 60, or even 100 times with a sown. And so as I was contemplating this parable, you know, the, the, seed, um, the seed is basically the word of God. And what I hear in this parable is Jesus is saying that God is constantly speaking, as, God, uh, as Barbara um, shared earlier that God is, is sowing the seed into just all sorts of different places. And there are different people that are represented by different soils. And some soils of people's hearts just aren't there. They're not there to be able to receive God's word in such a way that is able to allow God's word to really sink in and to bear fruit and, and to grow. As I thought about this, um, it became clear to me that um, that the ability to understand God's word um, and, and growth is not dependent uh, necessarily on the communicator who delivers the sermon or who's writing the book or whatever it is. But really what Jesus is saying is that the ability to receive God's word falls um, first and foremost on, on the person's heart. What is the condition of the heart? Um, and it's not so much what you hear, but whether your heart is able to receive God's word. And so what Jesus seems to be saying is the responsibility of Christian growth doesn't rest on the communicator, but rather on the listener. And I wish we had more time to like dissect through every type of soil here. And, uh, but I'd like to highlight um, one point in this parable, and it's in verse 18. It's the third soil where Jesus says that um, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. And, and to me, um, this is a really scary thought because Jesus is saying that um, the deceitfulness of wealth and like certain desires choke the word of God and keep us from ever bearing fruit. Now, years ago, I remember um, going to Mission Viejo and I decided to go there early because, you know, it was, it was a far distance from my house. I live in La Mirada. And as I got there early, I decided to walk around this shopping center um, off Crown Valley Parkway. And, and there was this, um, at the time, Bristol Farms Market. 
and I had never been to a Bristol Farms market before. Um, you know, the markets in my place are Sater Brothers or Albertsons. And so I decided to like, you know, peruse through the, the aisles. And as I got to the back of the uh, Bristol Farms market, I went to the meat section and just looking at like, you know, um, different meats they carried and the prices of the meat. And as I got to the beef section, I saw um, beef prices at $50 a pound, $60 a pound, even $70 a pound. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what in the world? And I looked around and I was thinking, man, I don't belong in the store. This place is for rich people. I mean, I, I would never in a million years buy beef at $70 a pound. And so, you know, as, as I left the market, I was like, you know, waiting at the table for my friend to come. and it dawned on me as I was like making that um, judgment of, of that market that I was putting a label on myself. It was a way of me saying that I'm not rich, I'm poor. And as I thought about that thought, I was, I was um, realizing the implications of that thought because um, it made me think, am I really poor? Because by saying I'm not rich, then it absolves me of all the responsibility that Scripture you know, addresses to me as really a, a rich person. I, I look at all the passages that deal with rich people, right? And I say, those verses aren't for me. Um, and and in, com- in truth, in comparison to the rest of the world, world I'm probably really rich. I mean, I have shelter, I have access to healthcare, I don't go hungry, I'm able to have transportation to go around, I can buy a book and, and purchase like premium coffee as I wait for my appointment. In reality, I'm like the upper 5% of the world probably. Um, and so I began to try to think, God, what does it mean for me to actually um, accept my privilege to accept my position in life, because if I label myself as not rich, then it keeps me from understanding so much of what Jesus is trying to say. And, and as I looked at, you know, the teachings of Jesus, you know, Jesus talked about riches a lot for some reason. You know, there's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, um, you know, even in... in um, in Mary's Magnificat, you know, she talks about how the, you know, God will fill um, the hungry with good things, but he'll say the way he'll send away the rich um, empty. Um, Jesus, you know, says, "Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort." Um, and I, I think about that, and I'm like, you know, I never like really paid attention to that passage as if it was being addressed to me. And then there's Jesus saying to his disciples in Matthew 19, 23, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And by entering the kingdom of heaven, of course, Jesus isn't talking about like going to, to, to heaven after, you know, we die, but entering God's presence here on earth. And so what Jesus seems to be warning us here is that there is an inherent inability to understand the things of God's kingdom because of our economic status. I mean, how seriously do I take that? Um, and so as I think about the rest of like Jesus' sermons, you know, there's the, the Beatitudes that are just so profound. And then in, in the context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually, you know, pulls 
you know, some um, parts of the Ten Commandments and gives us examples of how we've fallen short. You know, he's speaking to pretty much a group of people who are pretty religious. And, and he says, you know, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. And I imagine the first listeners um, who heard Jesus speaking about adultery, you know, prided themselves probably on saying, you know, when I look at the Ten Commandments, that's something that I've never done. I've never committed adultery. But now Jesus is kind of expanding the definition of, of this certain point in the Ten Commandments and says, you know, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so basically Jesus is speaking to this group of people and telling them, you're all adulterers. And, and I imagine they're like saying, ouch. Um, you know, there, there's like this offense, right? There's like, how dare you call me an adulterer? Um, but I think what Jesus is trying to get at is that we have a way of trying to interpret God's word in such a way that it keeps us from ever like seeing that we fall short. And so when Jesus talks about um, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, he's not just talking about someone with a large bank account. He's actually talking about someone with like economic privilege or in other words, power. He's talking about people who have this certain privilege that is able to like assert maybe authority over other people and, and, and you know, and, 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 and so live a, a life that is, is more comfortable than other people have the means of doing so. And so there's, there's something like profound in Jesus' teaching and, and just um, helping me to see that, you know what? I'm probably that rich man that Jesus is addressing. And so I remember, um, you know, having this interaction with uh, two of my kids. Um, and as they said some things, I decided to go on Twitter uh, a couple of years ago. And this is what I tweeted. Um, when my gay son says, I hate straight people. And when my daughter says, I hate men. I don't get defensive as a straight cis man. Instead, I listen to the pain of marginalized people and I commit myself to doing better. And so in like in the midst of like my daughter, like hearing about all the like harassment that woman faces and and then her anger and then her sadness and her lament, you know, there's times where she's like saying, oh, I, I hate men. And I think, you know, as a man, it would be easy for me to like experience fragility and say, well, I'm a man, you know, do, do you hate me? But she's not at all talking in that way. She's just making this, this statement of saying how patriarchy and misogyny are so, so horribly problematic. And that as a man, I need to like take responsibility for like how I contribute to that. But it takes, I think, humility. Um, it takes humility for me to not be fragile and to, and to understand that God is addressing you know, people like me. And so when, when I go into God's word, um, it's not just a matter of trying to read God's word and understand the Greek and the Hebrew and think that somehow by, by reading and becoming more knowledgeable about the history and the context and by reading all these books, 
that somehow I'm just going to grow spiritually and I'm just going to be a, a better follower of Jesus. What this parable in Mark chapter 4 is, is I think, trying to say is that God's word is, is being spread all over the place. Sometimes it's not even in the form of a sermon, but it's, it's in the form of people who are hurting. And the reason why I'm unable to bear fruit is not so much that God isn't speaking, but it's that there is some kind of like pride or there's, there's, this, there's this deceitfulness of wealth that is inherent in my place of privilege that is keeping me from understanding what God's word is saying. And, and that to me is like so, so vitally important. You know, my wife and I um, celebrated our 28th uh, wedding anniversary last week, and um, I posted um, that, you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful to be, like, um, experience all the, these years of love and laughter with her. And I described in that post that my wife, you know, has been my greatest teacher and, and my best friend. And, and I say that with all seriousness, because I remember in the first few years of marriage, um, uh, here I was, you know, trying to be a, a good husband and all of that. And um, there were like a lot of times where I, honestly, I just wasn't, you know, being attentive to her. I, I wasn't paying attention. And I remember early on, I remembered why she kept repeating herself. It came to the point where I said, oh, my gosh, why is like my wife nagging me? Um, did I marry like a nagger? And, <laughs> and it was just like, oh, I was like getting with this like point of frustration. But um, as she began to like talk more and um, was trying to like teach me, you know, how to pay attention, she kept saying, I don't feel like you're really listening to me. And, and so as I, I like started moving towards like her heart more and just um, like paying attention, um, I began to see that um, that there were so many ways I was invalidating her feelings and her experiences by trying to like deflect right into drawing attention to all the good I had done um, in our marriage that I'm not as bad as you like might make me feel and you know and sound. But instead, she was saying, you know, Danny, it's it's not about that. What I'm actually trying to tell you is that I've experienced a lot of things in my life and. And, and by like trying to share these things over and over with you, I'm, I'm like trying to like be vulnerable. I'm trying to open up this part of my life that has affected me for as long as I can. And I carry a lot of pain into our relationship. And I hope that you can be the safe person that I can process this pain with. And so Abby was essentially saying, Danny, this is who I am and I'm giving you a window into my soul. This is how I need you to love me. And right now, you don't understand because you're not listening. And so as my, my wife was like say, sharing those words, I was like, oh, my goodness. The, the reason why my wife keeps repeating herself is because um, I haven't really been paying attention. And I was like, trying. there was this like pride, like, you know, built in me, you know, this this patriarchal tendency of just like this posture of non-listening and feeling like I was right and I was like this like pastor or whatever it might be and and so as my wife taught me to listen um, it's become beautiful in the sense that um, 
whenever my wife does open up, it, it's still difficult, right? Um, because it, it's hard to be confronted over things I've done wrong. But whenever my wife begins to speak, I, I now like pause and, and I, I, I guard myself from trying to, to say and, and to, to react. And instead now I see my wife, whenever she expresses pain, as this, this gift to me. She's saying to me, Danny, I, I want to open up to you because I want you to see who I truly am. I want you to, to hear the places I, I hurt. I want you to know my true self. Will you be that safe person for me? And in reality, it's this like invitation. It's this invitation for me to know her deeply. It's an invitation for me to love her. Um, and it's just been such a profound like lesson for me. Because in that, I've been able like to learn how to practice that posture of listening as I hear to all the other people around me, whether it's my kids or, or whether it's people who are protesting in the streets and just, just like, experience, like lamenting and saying, you know, we're experiencing this injustice. We're experiencing racism. And, and so often it's easy for us to say, hey, you know what? I, I'm not racist. I'm not homophobic. I'm not this or that. But I think what Jesus is trying to say is, you know, in the way he says, you know what, think about what adultery is. It's much broader than you can imagine. Hate, you know, and, and or or the commandment to not um, to not kill doesn't just involve like physically killing, but involves hate. It, it's such a bigger thing that Jesus is trying to get us to enter into and I know for me I have to I have to get to the place where in, in this parable Jesus says the deceitfulness of wealth but I have to understand that my somehow some way and I don't fully understand this yet but my economic privilege um, and my, my desire to, to just make more money is keeping me from understanding the things of the kingdom. Um, and so whatever places of privilege we hold, um, I pray that we would like get to the place where we um, can humble ourselves. Because if we have a defensive posture, we won't be able to get to the place where we will understand. And honestly, honestly, understanding is the basis of love. If we don't understand, it's going to be very difficult for us to love. And so how do we as a community pay attention to one another's pains? How do we like be present with one another in the midst of this like pandemic? Is there a way for us to call one another? You know, we, we discovered that, um, that there are people in our community are hurting. There are people who have lost loved ones. Is there a way for us to like come alongside? And even greater than that, we are experiencing this upheaval in our community and in this nation, and I dare say the whole world. How do we like pay attention to the stranger, the immigrant, the outsider? 
because um, there's something I, I know um, for sure is that love is what gives us clarity. Love and compassion and mercy and justice is going to be those th things that will help prepare our hearts uh, towards receiving, uh, towards understanding the things of God that will bear fruit. And I pray that um, someday, you know, in the same way that we now are able to um, to look at the world and, and look at history. And, and I know when, when I think about like, you know, um, the transatlantic slave um, problem. And when I think about how women weren't allowed to vote and I think about all those, those things in the past and the history of the US, I'm thankful that in a lot of ways um, we've moved on from some of those things and we can now say that slavery is wrong and oppression of, of women and silencing their, their voting rights is wrong. Um, but I also dream of a day in the future, right? when um, the generation, maybe 50 years or 100 years from now, and I don't know how long, will be able to look at our generation and say, I can't believe that generation was a time where they were okay, where there were homeless people living on the streets. I can't believe that that generation was this time where they allowed for like the systemic problems of injustice and and racism and all of that. I look forward to a time where people will um, will be able to flourish and there's this like like equality, right? There's this equity um, that, that is brought and, and it's you know it's this this prophecy from Isaiah 40 that's referenced in Luke 3 and, and when, when the, um, Luke speaks of the gospel of John the Baptist. And he says, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make straight highway for God in the desert, for every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The even, uneven ground will become smooth and the rugged land a plain. And, and there's this vision of the future that, that there'll be this like equaling, that, that people will be, will be like co-equal to one another that there won't be oppression, but rather there'll be equality. As Ecclesiastes 3 says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. And as a person that holds a high regard for scripture, I hold on to this promise that God is, is moving us forward, that God will one day make everything beautiful in its time, but right now it's not. And I hope that somehow we won't allow our, our knowledge of scripture or our years of like, you know, being church leaders to think that somehow we've arrived and that we've got nothing left to learn. But the example of, or, or the true test of Christian growth is, are we able to love our neighbor as ourselves? Because in doing so, we demonstrate our love faithfulness to God. And so as I, as we move forward, uh, my prayer is that we would just um, learn what humility is and just um, be the place that when we hear pain, when we hear even anger, uh, what does it mean to pay attention, especially to those who have been disenfranchised? And so um, if I can just pray for us now. God, thank you for uh, just this time 
majesty of life. And I ask God that you would um, you would help us to see that God, you are speaking. And that God, you are speaking maybe to our friend who is hurting right now. You're speaking in the community we live in. To those who have been affected greatly by the pandemic and just uh, social inequalities. And so God help us to um, pay attention, to listen, and to allow your spirit to work in our hearts, to transform us, to be the people you desire us to be. That God, we might be able to imitate Christ and be the presence, the true presence of God for people. In Christ's name we pray.